Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to the Virtue Podcast. This is Kathy Laurie, and this is our last lesson in our book of Acts that we've been studying. Oh, my goodness, have we not had an amazing journey with the Apostle Paul as we've seen the gospel go from Jerusalem, and now it is going to reach Rome. Well done also to all of you group leaders and those of you who have finished strong in our ACT study. I know you ladies feel as I do, and I want to just do a huge applause for our excellent teachers that we have, and a huge thank you for their time and labor of love in preparing such rich messages for us this week, right? Okay, well... I'm going to take a quick trip back to Acts 2 for just one split second. As you recall, Acts chapter 2 says that the Holy Spirit came on the church like a mighty rushing wind. Now, mighty rushing wind is not a great translation. The word in Greek implies a hurricane. Actually, the word is a typhoon. And what a typhoon, tornado, hurricane it was. This was not some cool, refreshing breeze that was filling them with sort of sentimental religious vibes in the upper room. This was a torrential wind that propelled them to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And in this last session, where we're going to be looking at chapters 27 and 28, we're going to see the Apostle Paul finally fulfill his dream of getting the gospel to Rome, some 2,997.4 miles from where the Holy Spirit first descended upon the church in the upper room. And when he got there, the gospel had already reached Rome. And we're going to be coming to the end of the book of Acts, if you can call it an ending. And as we read, it doesn't really end, does it? You know why? Because you and I are still living it in a way. This story of what the Holy Spirit did isn't going to stop because it never was about the apostles and the Apostle Paul in particular. It wasn't about his ambitions. What it was about was what the Spirit of God wanted and still wants to do in the church. And let me catch you up a little bit on the story here. Remember our friend Paul was held in jail for two years because the Roman governor couldn't figure out what to do with him? Felix, not the cat, that is, left Paul in prison for two years. Which, by the way, imagine how hard that would be. It's one thing to be persecuted, but just to be forgotten about for two years, put on hold without any indication of what's going to happen. But you know what? We don't be too discouraged for Paul because it was during that time that Paul wrote several of the books of the New Testament Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And there's something really special in these prison epistles, in these prison letters that sets Jesus above as Lord of all, sovereign of the universe. So let me just say this right off the bat. If some of you feel you're in a prison of sorts, you feel you've been forgotten, let me just tell you, don't waste that time. The Apostle Paul started writing. Maybe you need to start journaling and seeing what God is teaching you that you can help others when they're going through similar things. Well, eventually Felix is succeeded by a governor, a guy named Festus. And when Festus calls Paul to stand in front of him, the first thing Paul says is, I appeal to Caesar. And the reason he did that is he feared that he would never receive a fair trial if he was taken back to Jerusalem. So 
Before they ship Paul off to Caesar, Herod Agrippa comes to visit Festus, and he wants to know why all the Jews hate this guy. Why is he still in prison? People constantly wanted to know what made Paul tick. And my first point in this last lesson is Paul lived on mission. He lived provocatively. And that doesn't mean he dressed provocatively or acted unnecessarily provocatively, but his way of life and the way he executed the things that he did provoked a, a question. Now, we're not in the same circumstances that Paul was in, and I realize that. But can I ask you this? Do people ever look at your life and say, I don't get why you live like you do, or why you have such hope in the midst of all of this pain and confusion in the world? Or why are you so generous? Why are you so patient and forgiving? Has anyone ever asked you why you do what you do the way you do it? Don't you want to live, I know I do, in a way that stands out from the culture, from the status quo? Do you know you can do that? You are called to live, not in the circumstances, but with a mission and a call and an understanding that is far greater. You can live provocatively in how you do your work. In Ephesians 6, 6, Paul says that our work should be done with such excellence and integrity that even when no one is looking, people would say, I can tell that you're motivated by something more than just money. You can live provocatively in how you handle your disappointment or pain. And we talk about this a lot because we've been through this a lot with the apostles and with Paul specifically. Anybody can be happy when things are going well. But when you can have joy when things are not going well, you show the world that you've got a foundation for joy that people in the world don't have. We can offer up that sacrifice of praise in the midst of pain. And let me also say, you can live provocatively by your generosity. What you do with your money and how you live out what you have can provoke questions too. I was shocked by this statistic recently. It says that the average person in church gives about 2.4% of their income to the mission of Jesus. Get this, the average American gives about 2% to charity. Do you think 0.4% more of our giving really provokes a question? Most people assume that Christians are just, well, they're just a little bit more moderately moral than they are. But when you live for an entirely different kingdom, and it shows by how you spend, what you spend lavishly on, it provokes a question. First Timothy 6, 17 and 18 gives divine instructions for the wealthy that are among us. And by world standards, ladies, we all are fairly wealthy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. When your season of material wealth arrives, if it hasn't already, this First Timothy passage is telling you to do those things. Do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. We live out provocatively by our generosity. We live out provocatively when we show the world that our wealth and our treasure is not here in material things. Second of all, Paul lived out his life on the line, in the midst of everything 
and he seized opportunities. So here's my second point. This is Paul's life on the line here, ladies. But in the midst of it, he recognizes, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, but whatever happens, wherever I am, if there is an opportunity to proclaim Jesus and live for him, I'm all in. So here are a few examples of how we can live out our lives when we have opportunities and seize them for the gospel. Maybe God has put you in the medical profession. Maybe you're a doctor or a nurse, not because you're good at medicine or to give you a way to provide for yourself and your family and make an income, but as a platform. Maybe you're a teacher in a public school. For that reason, I'm thinking mainly about you and how you might use your platform as God leads you. Maybe one of the reasons God has made you an incredible athlete, and I'm thinking of a particular person here, that God would allow them to put him first above the medals and the trophies as the one you want to glorify by the way you run or swim or cycle. College or high school students, you can seize opportunities. Do you recognize that you are on the single greatest mission field in America? What if God's purpose is not only for you to get good grades and set yourself up for a job, but to also bring others to Christ on your campus? I'm asking, where has God placed you? Maybe you're a mom. Mothers, it is one of the hardest jobs, and it can break your heart at times. I know you giving up your time, your dreams, your energy, your freedom is not insignificant. What you do is priceless, pouring into children who will be the next generation that God will call to himself. So let's seize those opportunities. Third of all, Paul embraced sovereignty. And I'm going to dive in specifically to the passage in chapter 7, verses 21 to 26. Paul was in the center of the will of God. When Herod and Festus put Paul in a boat to sail him to Caesar, the boat gets swept up in a hurricane and it's blown out to sea where they basically get lost for a month. Seriously, Paul cannot catch a break, can he? This violent storm doesn't simply look like the forces of nature, but there is almost some diabolical force behind it. Something more than just natural elements against Paul. These are supernatural battles, but it is right there, right in the midst of those inexplicable times of affliction that you might be experiencing right now that your testimony to Christ will be more powerful. Did you hear what I am saying? It is right here in those inexplicable times of affliction that you may be experiencing right now that your testimony for Christ is more powerful as you embrace sovereignty. Paul stands up on that ship and shares Jesus' words of life and encouragement. William Barclay says that Paul was the most experienced traveler on board that ship. God gave him leadership because he had experienced so much in the midst of the storms. He had made over 11 voyages before this sailing to Rome. And it was in the midst of this time that God gave him steadfast faith and character and a platform to proclaim to others. 
Do you know that it's from the graveside of a child or in the midst of your ninth year of not being able to get pregnant or your fourth miscarriage that you can say and proclaim, bless the Lord on my soul and forget not his benefits? Maybe it's when you've been treated wrongly or when you've been forgotten about or fired for doing the right thing. Remember, it's more powerful to proclaim hope as Paul did as a fellow traveler in the midst of a storm than it is to try to call people in a storm from your nice perch of safety. What storm or trial are you currently in that you need to embrace as being sovereignly sent by God in order that you might use that platform in the midst of the storm with others to help others find safety in Christ? We can proclaim Christ and his promises in the midst of it all, in the midst of our temptations to doubt. Paul stands up in verse 25 and he says, Listen, take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul didn't let the storm make him doubt God was in control. In fact, he saw in the storm and in these trials that he experiences in these two chapters, God arranging opportunities for him to share his hope in God. How he was so certain of these things we read in verse 22, that he had the promise of God. And guess what, ladies? You have the promise of God as well. Verse 37 tells us that there were 275 other people on board that ship. He was a traveler alongside them in the midst of the storm. Some were prisoners like Paul. Some were soldiers. Others were just travelers or seamen. But in this moment, They all had one thing in common. (laughs) They were all in the same boat. This terrifying storm was surrounding them, and they were all thinking they were about to die. Ladies, as Christians, God does not always shield us from storms, does he? He allows us to go through the same things everyone else goes through. Why? So we can show them what hope from within the storm looks like. It is on the cancer bed that you can say, my body is in pain, but my spirit is filled with hope because one day my God will wipe away every tear from my eye and the pain I'm in and experiencing now is not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed in me. Do you know your testimony for Christ is more powerful when it comes from within the storm? He is Lord of the storm. He controls even the angry winds and waves for his purposes. So embrace God's sovereignty where he has placed you and be willing to proclaim from the midst of the storm your certainty and the promises of God. And lastly, I want to say, live sent. Paul lived sent in chapter 28, verses 30 to 31. If we go to the very end of the book, here's how Luke ends it in verse 30. It tells us that Paul makes it to Rome. This book is really a cliffhanger. You're not told what happens to Paul and his dreams. Why? Because the book of Acts has never been about Paul and his dreams. It's about the Holy Spirit and the gospel, right? In fact, we know from history that eventually Paul might have been released, that he went to Spain and he was rearrested and beheaded by Nero. Why not record all that? Luke certainly could have. I believe it's Luke's way and more importantly, the Holy Spirit's way of saying to the Neros of the world, we say, you can kill and imprison Paul but you can't stop the gospel. 
Paul may be dead, but the Holy Spirit remains. And so here we are, Harvest Church, some 2,000 years later, and we feel we've been put right here in California for this special time, and we believe that we are supposed to make the gospel famous right here. As Paul did in his world and at that time, we too want to reach people that no one else is reaching by doing things that no one else is doing. So we will constantly be trying new stuff at this moment. Um, You might be hearing this after Boise, but we're on our way to get to Boise as I record this podcast. We're going to try new things at our church. Now, not all of it works perfectly, and sometimes we have to back up and we dust ourselves off But we keep going because the Holy Spirit's work doesn't start or end with us. That torrential wind of the Spirit that we see the church in Acts scattering them to the far ends of the earth wants to blow through you, Harvest, through me. So here at the end, I want to ask you to live sent. We read Paul lived two whole years at his own expense under house arrest, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all of these people. And that is basically the end. Great, you say, but what happens? Does he stand before Caesar? We don't know. We do know that the letter Paul wrote to the Romans indicates he hoped to go from Rome on to Spain and to be the first one ever to preach the gospel there and share Christ with those people. Does he make it? Acts doesn't tell us. It ends in a cliffhanger. Paul lived with boldness and without hindrance. And I want to say it's a cliffhanger because we are called to write these final chapters, not for the book of Acts as scripture, but in our own lives. How can we live sent? Can I just encourage you briefly as we close to live sent in your volunteering? This year, I want many of you to start giving back to those areas that have been given to you. People in this church have been a blessing to you. You be one to them. One of the great areas you can do that is in our kids' ministry. Listen, we don't babysit children here at Harvest. We try to place an anchor in their hearts that goes so deep that they won't drift away from it when they hit the insanity years, otherwise known as middle school. Our kids' ministry is the tip of the spear for the most accessible and vital mission field in America. That's the truth. I want you to start thinking about inviting people. Invite your neighbor, the one you think may never come. And it might do two things. It'll grow you in your faith and it'll give God's Spirit a chance to work. It's not about you, but about the Spirit's power. Just be a conduit to invite people. Invite them to church. Invite them to your small group. Invite them to a crusade. Invite them. And also, you can live sent in the way in which we try to step up and lead our groups. You know, we need mentors. I know the impact of women on women's lives. Let me just share one quick story. One lady at the end of our season of Bible study, um, we always have an opportunity for people to share how God has worked in their lives as they've studied God's Word in community. And she stood up and said, I, am, I was a businesswoman. I am a businesswoman. And I never related to women. I never wanted to be in a women's group. I am not the touchy-feely type. I'm not the emotional, huggy kind of person that I typically imagine them to be. 
I didn't want to join a women's group, but she was invited and she did. And guess what she said at the end of that year? She says, I never knew what it meant to be a woman until I joined this small group and studied the Bible. I realized there was a place for me in the body of Christ. I didn't have to become some touchy-feely person. I could be who I was, but I learned specifically the biblical truths and the biblical definition of what it meant to be a woman. She learned not that specific thing from what we said on the platform or from a podcast, but she learned it just from being around other women who loved God and his word. We need mentors. And that's what the church is. It's a mother to the motherless. Could you be used that way? I want to ask you, why are some of you doing nothing? Let's also live sent in our generosity. We don't need your money and God doesn't need your money. But to run the church, to equip the saints, to reach our community, to train up new leaders and pastors takes, honestly, millions of dollars. And I'm not worried because God will provide. I just pray that it is through you that unashamedly I want to ask you, what is God entrusted to you financially? Are you living sent in your generosity? You could support the work of the Virtue Ministry easily by just letting us know that you want to give. We don't do an offering basket anymore. We are entrusting God to move your hearts and support the work of the ministry that God has through us here at Virtue in reaching women. You can also live sent in your faith. And this is the last thing I want to say really to you. Believe God with us for the future, not just for our church, but with the mission of God for all of Southern California, for revival, for the church that is so divided and so compromising and so apathetic and so biblically illiterate. I'd love for you to partner and pray with us at Harvest in this by serving and loving and giving to the work of the Lord. Find out where the needs are and join us. Ladies, do you know we could use you as ushers and greeters and people even as the first face as you pull into the parking lot? You represent us by the way you smile, by the way you're helpful, by the way you interact with people. Parents, we want you to pray boldly for our teenagers, for your teenagers, that God would raise up that next generation and that next generation would get it. And would not leave the church after high school. And they would be the ones to call our nation back to Christ. Can you believe God with us? Live sent in your faith to serve. Live sent in your faith to pray. And I want you to believe God for the people in your life. For this generation of women. Acts doesn't end because it's still being written. It ends in a cliffhanger because you can be writing that next chapter. Paul got the gospel to Rome, but will the gospel get to your community? We don't know. Like I said, you are writing that chapter. Don't bail on it. The Holy Spirit wants to write through you. So let's wake up. Let's wake up and let's pray up and let's study up and let's read up and let's pay up. But don't ever give up. Don't ever let up until everyone in your community has heard. As the Great Commission tells us that we are to go into all our world and preach the gospel. Let's pray. Father, at this last lesson, as we look at this final chapter in the book of Acts, we're so grateful 
that you have challenged us profoundly and you have shown us that, God, you choose to work through flawed human beings, through vessels who are subject to storms and suffering, and yet can boldly proclaim wherever it is that you have sovereignly placed us, that we would open eyes, would see the women in Acts that you used powerfully, Priscilla and Aquila side by side being used in that way. Lydia, a businesswoman who underwrote with her finances and opened her home to help Apostle Paul get the gospel out there. Oh, Father, we pray that you would use us, help us to have open eyes, to not begrudge the situations that we are in, but to see them as opportunities, that we might live sent and that we might faithfully write the gospel in our lives, those chapters that are yet unwritten by the way in which we trust you and look to you and obediently follow you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.